Hi everyone. In addition to this podcast, I send out a monthly newsletter called Wealth Programmed. In this newsletter, I write concise and educational articles about the state of wealth today and how we can live our best life in retirement. That's the most important thing. The write-ups are purely focused on building wealth, distributing wealth, smart tax strategies, smart investment strategies, what your vision of retirement is, but what separates me as a financial planner is I like to incorporate health. That's what makes me unique. So we'll talk about a little bit of health too. To sign up, go on the app that you're listening to this podcast on right now and click the link below to sign up for the Wealth Program newsletter to get the next one delivered directly to your inbox. Now let's get on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Wealth Program Podcast. Today we're talking all things inflation. Not only do we hear about inflation everywhere on the news, social media, and every neighbor, friend, or colleague that we run into, but we are feeling it in our day-to-day budget too. We're going to learn about what inflation is, how it operates, what it's looked like in our history, what the Fed is doing about it, and what we can do about it ourselves and how it plays into our future. I think the most obvious and logical place to start in general is inflation is just the increase in prices of the goods and services that we use all around us. We've seen it everywhere from the gas pump to our technology to the food we eat, including eating out and even our vacations, plane flights, cruises, hotels, and any other thing that we use in our day-to-day life has seen a price increase in some capacity. An increase in prices is normal and it has been as consistent as we've been alive and as long as we can remember. The difference now, however, is it seems to be really intense. The actual rate of inflation and the amount of cost increases seem a lot higher than normal and to be honest with you, it kind of has. So in general, when we talk about inflation, we're just talking about the general increase in prices or how almost everything has just gone up at the same time. Each category of goods or services can go up at different percentages and some things inflated more than others, but in general it's easy to assume based on an average of all the categories that things are going to cost more than in times where there's not much inflation, as we can see. Not to get too far off track, but the price of things can also go down, and that's called deflation. We're not seeing that yet. However, that can maybe happen in the near future if things revert back to their historical levels. So who is controlling all this inflationary nonsense? Some people say inflation stems from all the money that was flooded into our economy over the past two years for COVID. All the COVID programs, including historically low interest rates from even before that, have flooded our market with cash. And because that extra cash has been in our economy for a while, it's now driven up the prices of everything. Everyone providing the goods and services decided, hey, I'm gonna increase a little bit more since you have the money. There are some other things that come into play. Because there's so much cash, people are buying more stuff and there's holdups in production and distribution of goods and services. We've heard all about the bottlenecks, everything getting caught overseas and there's not enough shipping containers for everybody. But besides all that, there's actually a very big organization that controls inflation and how it operates. That's our beloved Federal Reserve. Now remember as we go through this, inflation and interest rates are different. They kind of work together, but they are different. But specifically, the Federal Reserve seeks to control inflation by influencing interest rates. 
In general, when inflation is too high, the Federal Reserve typically raises interest rates to slow the economy and it wants to bring inflation down. And that's what we've seen all the money. It's coming to the economy, it's being supercharged with low interest rates and allows people to utilize a lot of cash and buy a lot of things for very cheap. What the Fed does is increase interest rates and that is to slow everyone down and say, hey, pump the brakes on buying stuff. So we're going to reduce the economic activity by increasing interest rates. And conversely, when inflation is too low, the Federal Reserve typically lowers rates to stimulate the economy and move inflation a little bit higher. The second scenario is more of what we've seen for the past 10 or 12 years. Ever since the market collapsed in 2008, 2009, interest rates have been historically low or on the lower ends. Remember your house or to refinance your house for 2% or 3%. That's what we've done the past few years. I don't know if we're ever going to see rates like that low again, but that's what they do to try to stimulate the economy is keep rates low. And that's what they did. So you're already getting a sense of the ebbs and flows of how interest rates work and how they affect inflation, but how is it measured? So inflation is measured through a couple different agencies that basically collect and accumulate the prices of a very large number of goods and services. We talked about how your family and my family and all the families around have a basket of goods that we normally utilize on a day-to-day basis. Well, these organizations essentially create that basket of goods and services that reflects all the items consumed by households. Now, it doesn't contain every single good and service, but the basket is meant to be a good representation of both the types and items that households typically consume. The two agencies that I referenced before, the Bureau of Economic Analysis and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The Bureau of Labor Statistics is the one that we hear of more often, but these two organizations build these baskets, excuse me, and construct a price index. And the one that we're most commonly familiar with is the Consumer Price Index. So what they do is they determine the current value of the basket that they've created by calculating how much the basket would cost at today's prices. And then they determine the value of the basket by calculating how much the basket would cost at a base level or maybe a period of time before. Then the price index is calculated as a ratio of the value of the basket at today's prices to the value of the base prices or maybe a previous period of time's prices. All right, so that was really complex. I almost even confused myself. But basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to evaluate how much things cost now versus at a prior base level so they can catch the change of the previous base price to the current prices now. And when they do that, they basically create a percentage or an inflation rate. If there's a price increase, that means that things are inflated. If there was a price decrease, that means things are deflated or there's deflation. So just remember, Inflation is actually the growth rate or percentage of change within the price indexes that are monitoring the change in cost of the actual goods in the basket. So let's talk a little bit about how inflation is tracked on an ongoing basis. Like I mentioned before, the Bureau of Economic Analysis and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they're monitoring these nominal changes in the cost of goods or basket of goods over time. And they're comparing the costs now to what the costs were before developing the percentage change of the inflation rate. And they do this on an ongoing basis. And in particular, they check each month 
And this information is usually released in the middle of the month. I think the next one is coming September 30th. So this is a perfect time to get this podcast out. And everyone can lose their minds and freak out. And everyone can go into a market frenzy. But we'll get to that later. But they're tracking each month-to-month change because they also average that out over a period of 12 months to show us how the inflation has changed over the past year. And what's funny is this happened earlier in the summer where all the news headlines came out and I think even the president said that inflation is at 0%. And everyone's like, well, how can that be? That's crazy. Well, what they mean is the prices or the nominal changes that I mentioned on a month-to-month basis did not go up on an average basis across all the goods. So they kind of stayed flat. However, for the prior 12-month average, the inflation is still high. So essentially in June, if inflation was at 8%, in July, inflation was at 8%. That means that there was not an increase or there was a 0% inflation increase. But in general, 8% inflation was there in July and 8% inflation was there in June. So the next question that needs to be answered is why is inflation happening now? Like I mentioned before, interest rates have been historically low levels for the past 10 or 12 years, which has been good for buying a lot of stuff and us feeling great and the market's been great and everyone's been happy. But 2020 happened, COVID happened, low rates, including an influx of cash, like I mentioned before, potentially could have started to move inflation a lot higher, which means the cost of our goods were costing more and more because we had more money to be able to buy. So the Federal Reserve has stepped in and started to reduce these interest rates back down or at least try to control them. I think that's how they're looking at it is I'm going to control them now. Let's slow down the state or the intensity of the increase in rates. Let's just slow it down first and then we can look at decreasing them over time. I've mentioned this a couple times already about how inflation has been historically. So let's go over just a little bit here. And I'm actually going to link below the website that has some great information about historical interest rates. But right now, historically, inflation's pretty high. Not even going to lie about it. And when you look all the way back at inflation to 1914, there's probably only been about 10 to 20 years that have seen higher inflation than they are right now. Here in 2022, is probably going to end up around 8%. But historically, it's not always this high. In fact, averages right now around is 3% a year, which is a pretty comfortable place for inflation to be over long periods of time. But just for funsies, we'll talk about a few really, really extreme examples. So you might remember 79, 80, and 81, where inflation was around 10 or 11%, or 1974, where it was at 11%, or 1940. 6, 47, 48, it was around 8 and 14 and 8 percentage points respectively. And then obviously in after the Great Depression, excuse me, inflation skyrocketed up to 17, 18, 14, and 15 percent respectively for those years after the Great Depression. So what you really need to take away from this is historically, interest rates are very cyclical. They go up they go down. We always have to work with the ebbs and flows and how it's controlled by the Federal Reserve. So after all this talk about interest rates, let's get to the nitty gritty, what everyone has come here for. Why is inflation affecting our stocks? Well, that's a great question. Through this example first, we're going to use the S&P 500 as our benchmark. And remember the stock market or the S&P 500 is a real-time reflection of investor sentiment and aggregate expectations for the future 
rather than a representation of current economic conditions. And what's most interesting about this is it's actually really, really true because S&P 500 companies over the past six to nine months have reported large earnings growth and revenue growth predominantly, but the market isn't reflecting that. Stock prices are still down. So a lot of that is fear and investor sentiment because there's always buyers and sellers in the marketplace. So you look at the S&P 500 index year-to-date performance is down 16 or 17%, and some indexes and asset classes are down even more. So if you're wondering how inflation affects stocks or stock markets, it depends if you're thinking short-term or long-term. Initially, short-term, it could affect it a lot where price fluctuations or volatility could be very high and that's what we're seeing right now where you could have bought in on January 1st and your purchase is worth less today if you're going to sell it. And that's short-term volatility that's based on the change of interest rates due to inflation and scaring people and freaking people out. But it's what this does that gets people freaked out and then they start using big words like recession or depression and with these crazy predictions and they are going to scare people to death, which puts the stock market in a spiral. But if we take a step back and start to evaluate all the moving elements and not just the cost of the basket of goods that we discussed before, the gross domestic product or the labor market or all the things that are being evaluated by the Fed, we start to think that long-term, we might be okay. And that's why I want to think about long-term investing and not making decisions based on short-term fluctuations. Because let me ask a couple questions. Two questions. First question is, do you think interest rates are always going to be high? Realistically, ignore your political motives or biases. Do you think interest rates are going to be high for the rest of your life? And then the second question is, do you think in the future, the largest companies in our society, are they going to be worth more than they are today or less than they are today? And historically, might give you your answers and how you need to start thinking about things as you move forward. But before we move away from stocks and move on to bonds, let's dive a little bit deeper and use an example of growth stocks and how they're particularly sensitive to rising interest rates and value stocks kind of holding their value a little bit better. If you look at some growth mutual funds or ETFs, they're most likely going to get hit a little bit harder this year than any value type ETFs or mutual funds. But conversely, in low interest rate environments, growth stocks do well. And that's what we've seen from them for the past 10 or 12 years where value traditionally will lag. So again, it's ebbs and flows. And that's again, why diversification is extremely important. Now that we've really dove into stocks, let's talk a little bit about bonds. These are the elements or the tools that are affected by interest rates substantially, but they're affected differently. Remember, stocks and bonds are completely different. They're apples and oranges. I do not want you to lump them both together at any point in your life when it comes to investing. They're different. They serve different purposes. In addition, when we start to filter out bonds, there are so many different types of bonds. There are government bonds. There's municipal bonds. There's corporate bonds. There's high-yield bonds. There's short-duration bonds. And there's long-duration bonds. And there's a variety of stuff in between. Typically, longer-term bonds or longer-duration bonds are going to have a higher interest rate or coupon attached to them than a short-duration bond. And a short-duration bond could be literally from days and weeks all the way out to a long-duration bond that could be 20, 25, or 30 years. 
So bonds are a lending tool. They're not an ownership tool like a stock. They're a lending tool. So let me give you this example. If I was to give you $1,000 to do with what you please, in exchange you're going to give me, let's say, 5% a year or $500. So you're going to pay me 5% a year and you could use that $1,000 for whatever you want and you're going to pay me 500 bucks for, let's say, 30 years. In the end of that 30 years, you're going to give me my 1000 bucks back. That's a bond because you use that thousand bucks for whatever you want to generate more revenue for your business or your organization or your municipality or for the government. And along the way, you promise to pay me a little bit of interest. And that's great. So in this example, the price of the bond is $1,000 and then there's the coupon rate, which is 5% or 500 bucks. Once those bonds go out in the marketplace and start being traded and sold out in the marketplace, that interest rate and that price can change dramatically, but in a very specific way. We can see that now bonds are a teeter-totter. When interest rates go up, the prices of bonds go down, and when interest rates go down, the price of the bonds go up. Because remember, you owe me $500 a year. So if interest rates go up, the price that bond needs to go down to compensate so you're not paying any more or any less. Conversely, if the bond price goes up, that means interest rates have dropped, so the interest rate has changed to make sure to meet that equilibrium or $500 from the original coupon or 5% on a $1,000 bond. The reason why this is important, because this is a long game as well, but interest rates are based off what the Federal Reserve does. So when interest rates goes up, the short-term bonds or what we maybe see at the banks in short-term savings accounts or yields, definitely are impacted with those increase in rates as well. But in general, bonds serve a specific purpose in your investment portfolio. They're there to reduce volatility and reduce risk, and they also, in theory, should be a long-term investment and have a purpose. All right, I'm getting exhausted. We've talked about a lot. Thanks for listening. So here's what happened next. It's up to the Federal Reserve and the Reserve Chairman, Jerome Powell. And he just said up in Sun Valley, Idaho, where they're having their nice little I got too much money corporate retreat, he said he's strongly committed to fighting inflation. And he's going so far to say the Federal Reserve is going to raise benchmark rates again. And he's already raised them four times in 2022. And he really emphasized the importance of getting inflation down because he doesn't want the public to get used to higher prices and they start to expect them as the normal. I thought this was interesting because the reserve chair, Jerome Powell, mentioned in the inflation fight that the expectations play an important role and he learned that from the 1970s and 1980s. They actually learned it was difficult in public sentiment after setting poor expectations in the 70s and 80s on their way back down to reducing inflation, they almost made it seem like it was a bad thing. How the markets are going to continue to reflect this, I don't know. You can see after the comments by the Federal Reserve Chair that the market responded in a negative way. But again, that's short-term volatility. I have no idea what the market does on a day-to-day basis. I cannot predict it day, week, month, maybe even a year-to-year basis But what we can do is the longer you think and the longer you stay invested, the better the outcomes become. Oh, this is a perfect segue to finish up this podcast on a positive note. 
Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, by the way. I genuinely appreciate it. So you can read articles left and right about how investors have been coming out of the market in droves because of this interest rate and economical environment that we're in. And all that tells me is fear is prevalent right now. But what everyone else is fearful that presents an opportunity for us is high quality investors with a good plan. I've said this a million times. If you follow me anywhere, especially on YouTube or you subscribe to my newsletter, which you can down below in the link, you can go see either one of them. I like to capture the full growth of the marketplace. And the only way to do that is by staying invested for long periods of time. There's always going to be turmoil and struggle on an annual basis. In fact, the quote that I love has been, there's been more drops in the marketplace of 10% or more than there has been in Christmases in the past 100 years. And the translation of that is, there's always going to be changes in prices or drops in pre-historically high levels. You just need to really deal with the ebbs and flows as they come. A lot of times the market is just going to smooth those returns out if you hang on, but those drops in values present great buying opportunities that can pay off in the long run. The reason why investing during periods of time like this is important is because we are wanting to combat inflation. It's always going to be there and being able to invest historically outpaces inflation. So that keeps our purchasing power. One thing that really can hurt us in retirement is the cost of goods outpacing our increase in income on an annual basis. So if you're trying to supplement income from your investments, a good way to do that is getting long-term growth in your investments to help continuously grow your income or your paycheck in retirement. So in closing, don't overreact. Turn the TV off, go for a walk, get off social media, try to ignore the talking heads that are really going to try to promote a lot of fear and day-to-day fluctuation in the market. Stay consistent with your strategy and your goals and your vision. I do it specifically in a three-step process. One, I start with your goal. Specifically describe to me what your vision of retirement is. And I want you to be very deliberate. And I do this with all of my clients that are over age 50 and have a million dollars or more in assets as we really develop that vision. What do you want it to look like? Then we develop the plan, the clear roadmap to get you to that destination to the best of our ability. And then we invest. The investing is only chasing a rate of return that supports the plan to achieve the goals, nothing more. And so this inflation talk, all it does is it helps us adjust the plan or adjust the assumptions, but we should not be overreacting and taking any large deviations from what most is most important to you. I'm going to say thank you one more time. I appreciate everyone listening. And to close, I know investing retirement planning can sometimes be difficult or annoying or hard to stay consistent with, especially if you want to be tax efficient and have high quality investments to create a really worry-free retirement. Right now, whatever podcast platform you're listening, whether it's Spotify or Apple, you can sign up for my newsletter if you want to just learn a little bit more to do it yourself, or you can go to YouTube if you're a do-it-yourselfer as well. There's also a link to be able to contact me if you have any additional questions. I always like to answer some questions and you might be featured on one of the future podcasts if you ask a really good one. So 
please reach out to me if you have any questions and my business is built on pre-retirees over the age of 50 with a million dollars or more in assets and the reason for that is is I worked at Vanguard for almost five years and 99% of the people that I spoke to were over the age of 50 with a million dollars in assets and I think that that is the group of individuals, their concerns, their worries, and their solutions are what fit with my practice the best. So if you have any questions, you fit in that category, I'll be happy to help. Thank you for listening. I can't wait to get you the next podcast next week. So make sure to like and subscribe. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Take a look at the show notes for links to all the topics that were discussed and stay tuned for the next episode as they're going to be dropping weekly. Make sure to subscribe and go to www.propathfinancial.com to learn more. Thanks. The information provided in these podcasts is only to be considered helpful hints and education. Nothing said in any of these podcasts is to be misconstrued as specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Consult with your tax, legal, or investment professional before acting on anything discussed on these shows.